Thank you, Brother George. Revive us again. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles tonight. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 54. Let's all stand as we read God's Word. It's a, this is not just like any other book. People say, well, it's, it's just a book written by men. No, can I tell you something? This is the Word of God. It's God-breathed. He breathed into the prophets that what that which he wanted to have written, and he and they wrote it. Uh, praise God for it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theos pneumatos. That means it was God breathed. He breathed into them, and so we have the Word of God. We have the preserved Word of God. People say, "Well, you know, it's the King James. Uh, we can't really trust that because it's kind of old-fashioned." Amen. Praise the Lord. The Word of God is old-fashioned. Uh, it's real genuine. Two and two make four today like it did in my Lord's time, the old song says. Uh, modern days don't make a difference. We don't offer truth or, or uh, it doesn't alter truth or time. My religion's not old-fashioned. It's just real genuine. Amen? Matthew chapter number 27, verse 54. We want to consider this tonight. It says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. Seeing Jesus Christ on the cross, what he suffered and what, he, what happened while he was on the cross made this uh, centurion a believer. And I pray that as we stop and think about this today, I pray that we would uh, realize how wonderful a Savior we have. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you tonight for this time, and thank you, Lord, once again that uh, you can give us uh, the living water of the Holy Spirit to flow in us and through us. And I pray, God, for your power, for that unction, Lord, as I preach. God, you would give me your power to proclaim your word. And, Lord, we thank you for the truth that we can know uh, what is right and what is wrong according to thy word. Lord, may we live what your word has said. And, Father, we look forward to our coming of our Savior. Lord, if there's one that is not uh, saved, does not know Jesus as their Savior, maybe tonight. They will become a believer and put their trust and their faith in the one who alone can save them, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We praise you now. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You know, our words and our actions are important in conveying what we believe. According to a recent study by Purdue University, words are just as mighty as the deeds when it comes to parenting, passing on religious beliefs. The study, which appeared in a May-June in 1999, uh, the Journal of Applied Developmental Psychology, found that children were more likely to adopt their parents' beliefs when they had a clear understanding of what the parents believed. In that study, 58 female and 36 male students between the ages of 18 to 25, uh, they found that the accuracy of a child's perception of parents' beliefs is affected by all of the things that a parent does. What you say and what you believe, how, what you do in actions, reveal what you really believe. It's not just about your words. There's a lot of people today that talk about Christianity. They talk about principles. They, they know what the Word of God says. But the difference is, is how we live 
what we believe. The Bible talks about, Paul said it this way, live out your, uh, work out your own salvation in, with fear and trembling. We're to live out what Jesus Christ has put in. And so someone has said our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. So what does that mean, Pastor? Well, what you say you believe, you need to put into practice, and people need to see it in living color. Last week we began looking at the centurion who was given the responsibility of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the title of the message, uh, this is part two, what will it take for you to believe in Jesus? And here's the centurion, here's one who had seen death, he had seen, uh, he'd been in battle, and he'd been charged now with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And after seeing and hearing Jesus on the cross for six hours, he came to the conclusion in Matthew 27, verse 54, truly this was the Son of God. Last week as we were looking at it, we saw, uh, we, we, uh, we looked at the aspect, what did he see? What did he see in uh, that time when Jesus Christ was on the cross? And, and many different things, the earthquake and, and uh, you know, the, the blood that was spilled and the different things that were there uh, pointed the person uh, that Jesus was the Son of God. Tonight we want to consider what the centurion heard. What did he hear that helped to convince him of the fact that Jesus was the Son of God? I want you to consider the first point tonight. We're only going to look at three. There's several in this portion, but we only have time for three. I want you to see the reviling crowd and a forgiving spirit the reviling crowd, and a forgiving spirit. Turn, if you will, in your Bible to Mark chapter 15 and verse number 39. Mark chapter 15. Keep your finger in Matthew 27. We're coming right back. But look at Mark chapter 15 and verse number 39. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried, talking of Jesus, and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. So what was it? What did he see, this, this reviling crowd? As we go back to Matthew chapter, uh, this portion, Matthew chapter 27, and consider, if you would, back in verse number 39. And it says, and, and as they passed by, reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it with three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Here's the crowd as they come by, they're, they're, they're seeing Jesus on the cross, and they're, and they're putting their finger out, and saying, well, you know what, you said uh, that you could des destroy the temple and these things, and just demonstrate to us that you are the Son of God. May I share with you that if Jesus would have come down from the cross, they still wouldn't have believed they still wouldn't believe. You say, well, Pastor, I'm confident they would. No, their hearts were already hardened. They're the same crowd that said, crucify him, crucify him. They had already rejected Jesus Christ. And here now is they're, they're putting that finger out uh, to, this, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. That the centurion heard those words of these people that just passed by. But it wasn't only the people that just passed by. This was the common person. But now the religious person 
the religious people came by, the people that people looked up to for guidance and, and showing what, uh, you know, how, to, how to find God, these people came by. And notice what it says in verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders said he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Oh, you know, as <laughs> you think about that as a, as a human, on the human side, I don't know about you, but that just gets me fired up. It kind of, you know what, if somebody was saying that to me, I, my, in my flesh, I'd like to come back and say, okay, boom, ground open up right there. Swallow those people right up. Jesus is listening. Jesus is hearing these people reviling him, saying all sorts of nasty and mean things to him. But it wasn't only those people, not only the common person and the, and the religious people, but on the cross here on either side of Jesus were two thieves. He was numbered, the Bible says, with the transgressors. He had two thieves, one on either side. And notice what it says. The thieves did likewise. The Bible says in verse 44, the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same into his teeth. These folk wanted to inflict as much pain and sorrow upon the Lord Jesus as possible. The Bible had said in Isaiah chapter 52, it talks about the fact that Jesus had been so so bruised that he wasn't even recognizable as a man. They had beat on him. They had uh, put the crown of thorns. They punched him. They, they put on that crown of thorns, and then they took a reed, and they beat that down to inflict on the Lord Jesus Christ the pain of dying for you and for me. They scourged him in the back. As I said before, when they would scourge a person many times people never never lived beyond that scourging they would die before they ever went to the cross by the time that they would take these whips these cat of nine tails and on each one the end of the nine uh, leather pieces they would have like a piece of bone or metal and they would as that person would, would be laying down and stretched out they would take that that cat of nine tails and they would rip it against there and then they'd pull it off and the skin would peel off with it. By the time that they had whipped him 22 times, it said that you could take your finger and push on those muscles, and the muscles would just separate, and you could see the inner organs working. That's what Jesus Christ, that's what we were talking about tonight as we were talking about the Lord's table, the blood that was poured out for you and for me. Here, these people, there was a hatred for Jesus. The centurion is watching these people as they're coming by and they're, they're wagging their finger and they're saying all these comments and they're trying to do all that they could do to inflict pain to Jesus. You know, the wounds of words that folks say sometimes hurt more deeply than the physical wounds that we may endure. A young lady named Sally took a seminary class 
by a professor named Smith, and he was known for his elaborate illustrations. One day, Sally came into the class, and she noticed as she walked in on the, uh, on the, the center of the room, there was a, a dartboard, and there were laid off to the side, there were darts. And the professor told the students to draw a picture of someone they dis disliked or someone who had made them angry, and he would allow them to put that picture up on the dartboard and throw darts at that picture. Sally's friend on her right began to draw a picture of another woman who had stolen her boyfriend. On the other side, there was uh, uh, another person uh, of Sally's drew a, uh, a picture of, of her younger brother, because her younger brother, now I'm telling you, I understand, I got two older sisters, and my older sister sometimes could push my buttons. Um, and sometimes we get so angry, you know, we'd, my parents used to always tell us, we lived out 23 miles when I was a, a young, young boy, we lived 23 miles outside of Reading, out in Igo. And so it took a long time for mom and dad to get home. My parents said, we well, don't care what you do, just as long as you're all together when we come home and the house is all in good shape. So sometimes we'd lock each other out of the house, and, and boy, I tell you what, we'd have knockdown drag outs. And, uh, but when mom and dad came home, everything was kind of hunky-dory. Um, you had to make sure all that. But this one girl, uh, she went and she drew the picture of her brother. She was going to put it on the dartboard. Sally. She decided to draw a picture of the professor. And I mean, she spent time drawing that picture with all sorts of details so that you could not mistake who she was drawing because she wanted to put that picture up on the dartboard. The, the class lined up. And one by one, they went up and they put the picture up on the dartboard and they got the darts and they started throwing the darts. And I mean, some of them threw it with such, with such force and such anger uh, just, to, just to do that and, and get my anger out on that person. It felt so good. Here's Sally. She's waiting to get her opportunity to put the professor's picture up there and throw the darts. But she was disappointed. Because as it was coming up to her turn, the professor said, okay, the rest of you, go ahead and sit down. So the rest of the folk, they turned around and they sat down. Sally thought, man, I'm getting ripped off. It was, I had an opportunity to, to, to let myself go. But the professor walked up to the dartboard, took off the last remaining picture. But behind that picture, as he took that off, there was a piece of paper, and he took that off too, revealing the picture of Jesus Christ. The people were aghast. Here's a picture of Jesus. Well, if, it had been a picture, if they had known it was a picture of Jesus, they would never have done that. But the professor quoted Matthew 25, verse 40. And so much as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me.
You know, sometimes we think, well, the words that I say, it really doesn't matter. But it does. A dad was working with his son, and his son, boy, he, if he w- got angry, he'd just say all sorts of mean and nasty things to the rest of the people in the, in the, ha- in the house. And the dad was trying to break him of this bad habit. And so he told his son, he said, son, every time you say something mean and nasty to, to somebody in our family, I want you to put a nail on, in the post. They gave him a hammer, gave him some nails. And the son thought, well, this is great. This is wonderful. So he would be nasty to his brother and he'd be nasty to his sister. But his dad made him go out and put the nail in that 4 by 4 Boy, this 4 by 4 was all getting filled with nails. After there were all these nail holes, nails in there, the dad says to the son, he says, now, son, I want you to do this. He says, I want you to pull out all of the nails that are in the, 40, uh, in the 4 by 4 The son goes and he starts pulling out all the nails. And what was left were all these holes. And the father said, son, consider how you're going to fill and make new all of those holes in that wood. That's how you are when you say something unkind to someone else. Son said, I can't do it. He said, that's the point. The words that we speak can penetrate into the soul of somebody and last a whole lot longer than sometimes a bruise, a broken bone. Here these people are standing, the creation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that created them. And they're saying these mean and evil and hateful things to Jesus. How did Jesus respond? What words came out of his mouth? Look with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. It would have been very natural for Jesus, naturally speaking, it would have been natural for him to lash out at the angry mob. But I want you to consider in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 20, it says, For what glory is it when if you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. This is exactly what Brother Getch was saying this morning. To follow Jesus Christ, to follow in his steps, to do what he did and how he responded, that's how we're supposed to respond. The Bible says in verse 22, it says, who did no sin. Jesus did no sin. Neither was guile, craft, or deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, 
by whose stripes ye were healed. When these people were saying all these mean and evil and wicked things to Jesus, he didn't respond in kind. Instead of railing on the crowd for all that they said and did to him, Jesus says this in Luke 23, 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, Pastor, how can you how could he say that? They understood that they were hitting him. They, got, they understood that, you know, they were trying to afflict as much pain as possible. They knew that part. Yeah, but they didn't know really who he was. How do you respond when people say or do something that's hurtful to you? Do you give them a piece of your mind? Do you like those students at the seminary class with that dart, seek to hurt them with your words as much as you can? Or do you follow Jesus' example and revile not? Proverbs 15.1, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You say, well, Pastor, I would forgive that person if they would just get it right with me. Folks, can I tell you something? You're being bound when God wants you to be loosed, you have a choice of forgiving. When you forgive that person, even as Christ did on the cross, what did he, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I submit to you the centurion heard those words. Totally different. Totally different than how man normally acts. Natural would be to respond in kind. But Jesus was supernatural. And folks, I, su I submit to you today that we're to live a supernatural life, not by our power, because we can't, but by the power that is within us, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see the second thing that the centurion heard. He heard mercy extended to a dying thief. Look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and verse number 39. Luke chapter 23 and verse 39. Luke 23 and verse 39. It says, Then one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know, as we said earlier, on either side of Jesus were two thieves. Two thieves, and we saw earlier that it said that the thieves railed on Jesus. They were mocking him. Both of them were mocking Jesus at the start.
at this particular time, the one thief said, well, come on down, Jesus, and, and take us with you. He wanted himself down. But the other person saw something in Jesus and watching him hang on the cross, listening, just like that centurion, to how Jesus was responding to these people. The thief, as he nears death, acknowledges a couple of things. First of all, he acknowledges that he deserves the punishment for his deeds. Look what he says. He says, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that we are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. He acknowledged the fact that, hey, we're here because that we are thieves. The wages of sin is death. We deserve what we are, what we are getting. He acknowledged that he, that the sins were be the, the wages of his sins were being meted out death the soul that sinneth it shall die but he also spoke two things about Jesus first of all as we see in this portion he know, he noted that Jesus had done nothing to deserve the treatment that he received look what it says And we indeed, verse 41, indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. This man, Jesus, has done nothing to deserve what he's enduring. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He was ready to release him. But the crowd wanted him to be crucified, and we know that Satan was encouraging the crowd and the, the Pharisees and, and the chief priests, and they wanted him crucified. Why? Because they thought if we get rid of Jesus, we can have our own way, and things will be so much better. Caiaphas had said it's better that one man die for the nation than that the whole nation should perish. And they were talking about Jesus. They had determined that Jesus should die. This thief on the cross and watching Jesus and hearing Jesus, he knew that Jesus did nothing to deserve the treatment that he was going through. He also acknowledged something else, that Jesus was Lord. Look what it says. And he said, verse 42, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Lord, Master, Remember me. What he does is he's asking for mercy. He knows, he understands that he deserves the punishment that he is, he's going through. But this is not the end of it all. Some people think when I die, it's the end. Folks, it's not the end. That thief on the cross, he understood that there is more to this, this, this life that it goes beyond death. It's not reincarnation as some people think. But there is a life after death. For the Christian it's to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. But for the unsaved, the lost, the Bible says as we saw last week uh, that 
It's appointed to men once to die, Hebrews 9.27, but after this, the judgment. In this portion of Scripture, Barnes in his commentary said this, this is a phrase praying for favor or asking him to grant him an interest in, in his kingdom or to acknowledge him as one of his followers. It implied that he believed that Jesus was what he claimed to be, the Messiah. And that though he was dying with him, yet he would yet see or set up his kingdom, and that he had full power to bless him, though he about be about to expire. He believed in Jesus. Adam Clark says it is worthy to remark that this man appears to have been the first who believed in the intercession of Christ. Lord, remember me. When you enter into your kingdom, notice Jesus' words of mercy in verse number 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, ver verily I say unto, unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. See, he understood there's a place of punishment and torment for those who die because of their sins. In the center of the earth, the Bible teaches that there was two places or two compartments there was one called Abraham's bosom. It's also referred to as paradise. Over here on the other side was a place called Sheol, a place of punishment, a place of sorrow. Luke 16, 19 through 31 talks about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. But he saw Lazarus afar off. Lazarus, remember, was a beggar. He had had hard life, but he trusted, he believed in God, and he was taken to Abraham's bosom, this place called paradise, and it was there that he was awaiting for the Messiah to die on the cross. The Old Testament, beginning with Genesis 3, talks about the fact, 3.15, the first gospel, that Jesus was going to come, the Messiah was going to come, and he was going to die for the sins of mankind. And here, as the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom, Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, not in the place of torment. He already knew that was the place where he was going to head. Some people today, some Bible, so-called Bible scholars say, well, when Jesus, and he died on a cross, he went to that place, and, and there was an emaciated worm there in hell. Folks, that's not true. The Bible says that he went and he preached to the saints in prison, those who were waiting, who were waiting for him to die on a cross. Hey, can you imagine what type of service that would have been? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those people who had been by faith offering those sacrifices. Now all of a sudden the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world has shed his blood and it's all been taken care of. And now he comes down and says, hey folks, we're getting ready to go. On that third day, he arose from the dead and he led captivity captive. And those people that were there in that place called paradise were taken to heaven with him. He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Wow, what an, what an exciting time that was. That, the that, that centurion saw Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't say when those, that thief on the cross, when he said, you know, Lord, remember me when you enter into your 
your kingdom. Well, I'll tell you what, in just a few moments, you're going to get what you deserve. No, that's not what Jesus did. You know what he did? He gave words of comfort and words of hope. You know, sometimes people think, I've done such a, I've had such a horrible life. I've done such evil things that the Lord can never save me. I'm, I'm so glad we have this portion of Scripture. We have a thief who was on the cross who railed against Jesus. And we see a Savior who is merciful, even as he's going through great times of sorrow. You know, when we're hurting, we often don't think of helping others. Our attention is on ourselves and what we're going through. But when we see Jesus in his hour of suffering, he was still concerned about the souls of men, about helping others, even this dying thief. The centurion was watching Jesus' response, but he was also hearing the words which he spake. I want you to see the third thing that the centurion heard. He heard Jesus care for his earthly mother. Turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 25. John chapter 19, verse number 25. People look at the Old Testament scriptures and they say, well, you know, that's the Old Testament. We don't have to follow any of that. I submit, because we're in the New Testament and and we don't have to follow the Old Testament scriptures. The Bible says the Old Testament was given as an as, uh, admonition for us, instruction for us, to help us and to guide us. It, the Old Testament was good. The, the Ten Commandments were good. It pointed out, it doesn't produce righteousness, the Ten Commandments. They were never designed to do that. They were to point out how far we were from God and how much we needed a Savior. And in John chapter 19, verse number 25, it says, Then there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciples standing by, whom he loved. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the, to the disciple, Behold thy mother, and from that hour, that disciple took, he, took her unto his own home. You say, well, Pastor, what is, what is this all saying? Jesus is on the cross, and he sees his mother down there. And as he says here, he says, Woman, behold thy son. People are saying, well, you know, he's saying, Look at me, look at me. No, no, no. He comes over here to this son whom, or this man whom Jesus calls a beloved, this man named John, the one who was in the inner circle that was close to Jesus, the one who laid upon his breast. He says, woman, behold thy son. And he said to his disciple, behold thy what? Mother. Hey, to put it in the vernacular, look over here to John. John is going to take care of you. See, Moses in the Old Testament scriptures in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, said, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Honor thy father and mother. Honoring your parents. You know, a lot of people say, well, when I, get, I become 18, I don't have to honor my parents anymore. That, that, that's done. I have to honor them when I'm in their home. I have to do what they say. Can I tell you something? You have missed 
what the Bible is, is teaching. And Jesus, as he's on the cross, suffering in pain, looks to the disciple who's there at the cross and realizes he has an obligation, a duty to honor his mother. He knew that she needed to be watched over and protected. And Jesus turns to his disciple John, as I said, of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, to the one who leaned on his breast at the Last Supper. The apostle who was there when Jesus was being tried by Annas. And Jesus turns over the responsibility to the one who would care for her, which was John. Jesus showed love right up to the end. Not a love for self, but a love for others. What do others see when you are hurting? Do they see the love of Christ? Or do they see the bad side? All the e evil, wicked stuff come to the top. As we conclude today, when you go through difficult times, do people see Jesus in you? See, the centurion saw Jesus. They saw his suffering. They saw his response to the crowd. Father, forgive them. He saw mercy extended to a dying thief. He saw the fact that he still loved and respected his mother and wanted to take care of her and make sure she was taken care of. Do people see Jesus in you? Are they drawn to the Savior? The Savior that you say you believe in? Oh, I'm a Christian pastor, but you couldn't tell it by how you live and how you walk. Your life is something totally different. Do they want the peace and the hope that you have because you share with them that same peace and hope? I submit to you today, that centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. His life was different. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 11, He, Jesus, came unto his own, his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The people ought to see Jesus in us. Do they? Does our life turn them to Jesus and they want what we have? I pray that tonight that our life reflects our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for this portion of Scripture. As we've seen the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see a centurion that watched Jesus they saw him, they saw how he responded, they heard his words, and it changed his perspective, it changed who he thought Jesus was. Father, tonight I pray that others who look at our life, they may see Jesus in us. Father, I pray tonight that you would have your way in our hearts in this invitation.
with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you tonight, as you think about your life and how you are, do people see Jesus in you? Or are there some things that are kind of blocking the vision? They're blocking the light. And you say, Pastor, you know what? It's exactly right. I need to get those things right tonight. Would you please pray for me? God's pointing them out even right now. Say, Pastor, I can, I can see some things. I, I need to, when people are mean to me, I need to zip the lip. In fact, I need to have a forgiving spirit. Maybe that's where you are tonight. Maybe when people have been mean to you, you don't feel like giving them the gospel, but they're like that thief. They're only one breath away from eternity. And the Lord says, hey, it's time for you to speak up about me and let them see Jesus in you. Maybe you have an attitude about your parents. Well, my parents, you know, that they were mean and they were nasty to me. I, it doesn't matter how they were to you. It's what does the Bible say you are to be toward them. Tonight, God wants to work in our hearts. Perhaps God's speaking to you. And I say, pay, you say, Pastor, please pray for me. God's speaking to my heart. If you're like that this evening, I'd like to pray for you. Amen. I see this hand over here and this hand. Yes, this hand, this hand. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes, this hand over here. Dear Father, I pray for these who raise their hand. I don't know their life. I don't know where they are. I know in my own life there's areas that you're still working on me and I thank you that you never give 